All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Dr. Mike Simpson. Mike Simpson, MD, has served over three decades in the military as an airborne ranger, a special forces operator, and finally as a doctor of emergency medicine assigned to the Joint Special Operations Command. Throughout his career, Mike has deployed to 17 different countries, from the jungles of South America, conducting counter-narcotic operations, to the deserts of the Middle East, fighting the global war on terror. Along the way, Mike has trained as a demolitions expert, SWAT sniper, high-altitude, low-opening parachutist, scuba diver, civilian paramedic, special forces medic, operations and intelligence sergeant, and finally a board-certified emergency medicine physician. Mike is also a martial arts enthusiast who is trained in Muay Thai and currently has a rank purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. His passion for martial arts motivated him to become a practicing fight doctor, and he works extensively with mixed martial arts fighters, law enforcement and military organizations, providing medical care and training. As one of the most foremost experts in both tactical trauma medicine and combat sports medicine, Mike is highly sought after as a lecturer and instructor. He also hosts the Mind of the Warrior podcast, sharing his personal knowledge and philosophy, as well as those of his guests, in an effort to spread the warrior ethos to the general public. Mike is perhaps best known for his role as an investigator of the History Channel's docu-reality series, Hunting Hitler. And in this interview, we discuss how to make your later years as fun, effective and as badass as your 20s, how to incorporate the six pillars of fitness into your training regime, recovery and diet protocols that all older men should adopt, the health tests you need to have done to remain healthy now, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't believe how quick I read your book. It's 212 pages, and it's an amazing read. Now, for people who maybe don't know you, could you just give a quick introduction? Yeah. Uh, so my name is uh, Mike Simpson. I'm a doctor of emergency medicine. I practice here in the U.S. in the great state of Texas. Um, I had a, kind of a non-traditional route to get into medicine and to get into medical practice. I, I left high school. Two weeks out of high school, I left and shipped off uh, to the United States Army. I did four years as an airborne ranger in the 1st Ranger Battalion. After that, uh, I got out but stayed in the National Guard. And I was in, we actually have uh, non-active duty special forces units here in the U.S. And I was in one of the special forces National Guard units did that for a few years, ultimately got mobilized uh, during Desert Storm, Desert Shield, although we didn't deploy. But it was during that time back on active duty that I decided I wanted to stay permanently back on active duty and make the military a career. So I went to the fifth special, or I'm sorry, I went to the seventh special forces group uh, as a special forces engineer sergeant. And uh, so basically building things and then blowing things up. 
did that for a few years. Um, decided I wanted uh, a bigger mental challenge. So I went to the Special Forces Medical Sergeant's course and did the rest of my time in SF uh, as a medic. Applied to medical school, was accepted to medical school, ultimately went to emergency medicine residency and made my way back to the special operations community. And I was assigned to uh, the Joint Special Operations Command to what they call the Joint Medical Augmentation Unit. So providing direct medical support to all of the high level uh, military units that uh, that everybody's seen on the front page of the New York Times and, and has seen on the news. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you've had an amazing career, and you know, you've you've had such a distinguished service. Which um, can you go into a little bit about what was your time like in the military? Because it's slightly different in the sort of the British style. Like we have our our own separate SAS, we have our own mm-hmm. armies, etc. But what was it about the the army lifestyle initially that attracted you? What was it that you were were you looking for something particular? Um, or was there a particular interest that made you move towards the military lifestyle? Um, I had a I had a desire to serve, and uh, my, you know my father had had been in the Navy uh, right in the late fifties, so very when we weren't officially in Vietnam, but but kind of early Vietnam time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, although my my father did not consider himself to be a Vietnam veteran. Um, there was a time period here in the U.S. You know the the sixties and the seventies were 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 kind of rough on the U.S. I think they probably were globally, but um, in the 80s, it, it kind of started to become cool to be patriotic again and to be proud of being an American again and, and mm-hmm. to serve your country. And at, at that time, we were an all-volunteer army, but there was a, there was very much an appeal for that. And uh, I, grew, I spent my formative years in a very small town, um, working class upbringing, and, and I was drawn to that. I, I wanted to I wanted to serve my country and I wanted to be a part of something larger than myself. And I wanted to be challenged. I wasn't interested in going into the military to to have them pay for college, although that was certainly a benefit. I wasn't interested in going in to, to learn a trade. Um, I wanted to do something that I could say very few people do that. I jumped out of airplanes. I I I dealt with explosives and automatic weapons and I and I did things that were dangerous. Uh, and the type of things that they make movies about, you know, and, uh, you know, one, one of my, uh, my favorite movies of the, of the time period, there's a, a movie that's based on the SAS called The Final Option. I don't know if you remember that film, but, um, that's the kind of stuff that I wanted to do, you know, swooping in on helicopters and, and, and sliding down a rope onto a rooftop and, and going through the door with a submachine gun. And that's what really drew me into going into a career in special operations, uh, starting in the Rangers and ultimately culminating uh, as a Green Beret and then then on to JSOC at the end of my career. Because that's what came across in the book was you had done some amazing things. You had covered such a wide remit of like the special forces operations. You had mm-hmm. done halo jumps. You'd done all these amazing things. And I think I always like asking that question is what was the inspiration? Because a lot of times it's like people do these incredible things and it's like, I just fancied it. You know, <laughs> it's quite, yeah. and it's quite, it's quite <laughs> interesting to see that. And, I think it's almost like you were designed for the military. Everything as you're, you wrote in the book, you seem to be very, it just seemed to be your chosen path. Now you were in the special forces at 48. You were going out mm-hmm. onto tours and missions. You were, well, I don't like the phrase hanging with the young guys, but you were, your performance <laughs> was exemplary. You know, you were just competing, you were training, you were doing everything that they could possibly do. 
What were you noticing about other candidates who were having to drop out? How was their performance slipping at that Mm -hmm. point? Was that the inspiration Mm -hmm. when you noticed people having to retire early for writing the book? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and, Although I was something, I was I was certainly an outlier because I was doing that, as you said, at age forty-eight, and as a and at the time as a physician, because I you know I was going out on operations as a, as a physician, not as an operator. But even even those who were my uh, I would consider my peers in the operator community who uh, who stayed stayed on teams and, and you know stayed in that capacity while I went off and got my education. A lot of us in, during the global war, war on terror were doing that at. at uh, at a progressed age, um, compared, compared to decades past, you know, it used to be in the eighties and nineties, when you got to your 20 year mark, you would, as soon as you got there, you would absolutely retire because there wasn't, there wasn't a war on, there wasn't something actively engaging you. You didn't have an upcoming deployment, uh, to look forward to. So mm-hmm. guys were, I, I don't want to use the phrase, take the money and run, but they, they were looking, looking for that next challenge. And, and then they were doing it, you know, either, uh, you know, as a contractor, as an instructor somewhere, you know, setting up their own business. But w- with GWAT, you know, actively engaged in, in a war, it's, and this is something that a lot of the civilian populace probably doesn't appreciate is retention in the military. In other words, the number of people that were re-enlisting and doing more years, you know, the, the average years of service in the eighties and nineties for most people, most people would do a four year enlistment and get out. And the, and those of us that did a career were, were mostly the outliers. But during the global war on terror, people were re-enlisting. People were staying in past those 20 years. People were tearing up retirement paper, tearing up separation papers um, so that they could stay engaged because we had we had a purpose, we had a mission, and it kept people active. But to, to answer your question, I know that in kind of a roundabout way, uh, the big thing that I noticed, uh, those who had the most trouble as they got older were those who didn't adjust to the fact that our bodies don't recover at the same pace, number one, um, and that you have to, you have to really, it, it, as it becomes an old man's game, to coin a phrase, it, it has to become a game of wisdom. You know, you, you have to look for the smart way to do it as opposed to the hard way to do it. Whereas a, a younger guy, you know, I, I went through special forces selection in my twenties and as I was able to just basically put my head down, bite a hole in my tongue and do it, even though I was not in the best shape at the time, because I had a body that was resilient enough that it could spring back and recover quickly enough that I could go on to the next training evolution. And uh, to do that in in my f- late 40s was really difficult. And I did in within JSOC, people that would come and try out uh, for the unit, people that were maybe not my age, but a little bit older than, say, the average would struggle with that quite a bit. And, uh, and that uh, a lot of times would separate them from whether or not they were going to have the ability to do the job or not when it mattered. So do you think a big problem we face is that we're, the cultural norms are once you get to your twilight years, as they call them, you know, 40s, 50s, you're meant to start getting fatter. You're meant to start enjoying life and sitting with a cigar and, you know, like having the whiskeys mm-hmm. and, is it that we we're taught that, you know oh that's it you can't get fit again we're taught to be fat and lazy we're you know it's acceptable or is mm-hmm. it more a culture of fast foods we haven't got challenges in our lives what, mm-hmm. what would you say is it that the initial mindset problem that we need to fix that we can maintain our bodies through this level 
or is it something more with the, you know, we haven't got challenges, the rites of passage that we used to have in previous generations, too much fast food, you know, we're sitting all day. Where would you say the, the problem initially stems from of why we can't keep our performance up as we get, enter into the old uh, father generations? Uh, I think the answer is both of those things. I think uh, we, we do tend to live a life, even even those in the military who you would think uh, have a little bit more of an eye on their health, um, don't necessarily eat the things that they they should be eating, especially at a young age. Um, you know, I, I treated my, my digestive system like a landfill when I was in my twenties because I, I could literally mm-hmm. just get away with eating anything. And it's, if, if I wanted to eat something, I'd eat something. And, and to me, oh, I just went and did this amazing workout and I would go directly and just fill my body with garbage because I didn't have a, g- a good relationship with food. And I think a lot of us don't in modern society. You know, we've getting food has become easy. I talk about in the book how portion sizes have grown exponentially, how fat content, uh, sugar content, processed carbohydrate content, so carbohydrates with a high glycemic index have have gone up exponentially. You know, if you look at a, pl- a plate of food today, not only the size of the portions, but how calorically dense it is, and in not necessarily good calories. Um, it's just gone up quite a bit. And you can attribute that to, to GMOs or preparation or, you know, the fact that we're getting stuff handed through our car window or in a can or from the freezer section or in a box. So all of those things are issues, are issues for our longevity as we age. And then when we get to that age, it's exactly what you were talking about. We get to that point, and I talk about this as well in the book, that we start to tell ourselves, I don't have anything to prove any longer. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I had something to prove. Now I'm the old guy who sits in the corner and like you said, with my whiskey and my cigar and the youngsters come over to me and I dispense wisdom to them. You know, the idea that I can be in the gym or out on a mission or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, or, or stacking on the ramp at 16,000 feet to jump into the abyss with them at that age uh, seems alien. It just doesn't seem right. But it, when you reflect on the fact that, uh, if, if you go back thousands of years and you look at uh, King Leonidas at age 60, being in the phalanx at age 60 on the field of battle in Thermopylae, it's certainly possible. And what, uh, what one human being can do, another human being can certainly do. And uh, it's just a matter of having a good relationship with fitness, with preparedness, with mentally what you can do, uh, putting the right fuel in your body to do so. Because it definitely comes across that in the book was how with just a bit more preparation, you can sort of perform at sort of elite levels. You can keep your performance up to the same kind of standards as people who are younger than you. You just need to approach it from a more calculated, more thought out approach. And I that's a bit that annoys me when you go into a gym and you see all these old guys who, you know, they're told just go and do a bit on the bike. Just do a bit on the mm-hmm. treadmill, you know, and mm-hmm. they're just enough to keep them healthy, but not enough to actually become fit. And I think this is a problem. It's like we have guys who go off to the jungle who train, who do these like special forces. You're using tree branches for pull ups, press ups, all these sorts <laughs> of things. And we're then saying to these guys in state of the art gyms, you know, just keep yourself fit no more. You know, it's 
it's almost like we're kind of not sure what to do at this stage. And this is why I'm so I'm so glad you came out with the book, because we can't find older athlete stuff in the cool training magazines that you see. The pandemic's taught us that we need to spend more time in our health, that mm-hmm. we could all die very quickly. But yeah. there's nothing to kind of say. You're an older person, you maybe got diabetes, you're maybe at the start of numerous diseases, how you can then bring your performance back. There's all these fast foods. You can order a date online. You can order food online. (laughs) We're not giving ourselves the challenges. So what was it about the special forces that initially showed you? You mentioned about uh, food as fuel rather than Mm -hmm. just something to enjoy. You've talked about the different style of the training that you were incorporating. What was it about the special forces and over the last, say, 20 to 30 years have you noticed in their approach to training, dietary requirements? How have they changed as the sort of information and the technologies got better? Yeah, uh, great question. So uh, the the entire soft community, special operations community, and I, I give the Rangers a, a lot of credit for kind of for spearheading a lot of it. The, the Rangers have always been really good about um, taking the lead when it comes to advancement in human performance um, and, and have really set the example in a lot of ways. And I, and I think they took the lead when it came to that. And one of the things was, was recognizing that, uh, you know, just a good old fashioned army chow hall, right? You, you know, you go in and you get in the line and, and you get a tray and they slop a bunch of stuff in that tray and it's, mm-hmm. It's it's the same thing. When I came in the army in the 1980s, it was you know you go through the line and you and they throw a pork chop, and uh, I don't know if in the UK do you guys know what succotash is? Oh, it's uh, fermented. <laughs> uh, what do you call no, it? No, it's uh, succotash is it's lima beans and corn mixed together. It's considered mm. a, a kind of a state like no nobody eats it at home. I don't think anymore. <laughs> But but all through the 80s and 90s, you could find it in army mess halls, right? So they throw down a, a pork chop, a, a big spoonful of succotash, a big spoon, spoonful of mashed potatoes with gravy on top of it, and that was your food, right? You know, you know, good old-fashioned American fare, which probably wasn't the healthiest food for you to eat. There wasn't any eye given to uh, what your ideal caloric intake should be, what your ideal protein intake should be. Nobody knew what a glycemic index was. Nobody knew how often you're going to have requirements throughout the day for more calories. Um, none of that was thought out. And then at some point, the military finally started saying, hey, you know what? Professional sports teams have nutritionists who figure out how many calories they're expending in a day and what their caloric requirement is to do their job to maintain muscle mass and even to improve their muscle mass. So maybe we should start to take a look at that. And they did. And, and, you know, again, you know, the Rangers took a big lead in within the soft community and the soft community kind of led it on a larger scale to Hmm. we are going to treat our people like what they are, which is uh, very high level professional athletes. And we're not going to we're not going to have just all right, we're going to show up every day and do these traditional army exercises, you know, jumping jacks and, you know, squat benders and, and then go for a run. And that's just, you know, whatever you do is what you do. It, it became more of let's, let's look at exercise physiology. Let's, let's look at personal trainers and see 
what are our tasks that we absolutely need to accomplish on the battlefield and how can we address that through our physical training and through our nutrition? And that was totally an alien concept when I came in in the 1980s and even up through the 1990s as an operator. But in the era of GWAT, in the 21st century, we've really, as a military, embraced those 21st century concepts when it comes to fitness and nutrition, when it comes to exercise and, and, and uh, you know, what you're using as, as fuel to keep that force going. Because as, you know, as they say, an, an army moves on its stomach. And that's, that's come to the forefront. And those of us from the old guard, some of which there was some resistance to that is, you know, this is the way that I've always done it. Mm-hmm. You know, I get up in the morning, I do what's called my daily dozen and I go for my five mile run. And then I'm going to go eat sausage and eggs with biscuits and gravy on the side and a gigantic cup of black coffee. And that's the way we've, we've done it forever. And, and I'm going to put, and then I'm going to put a big old wad of chewing tobacco in my mouth and I'm going to, and I'm going to move out and soldier on. And, uh, I'm very happy that we've we've started to look at the the science behind fitness and performance optimization and longevity optimization, and we've applied that uh, to soldiers in their everyday life. Because it seems insane, doesn't it, that we are at this stage where we have these elite performers who are going out in like life or death missions, doing some of the most ex- under the most extreme conditions, and we're turning to them and saying, "Just get what you can eat," you know, like. Yeah. They're treated the same as this are rank and file. And that's the kind of thing that annoys me. It's like there's probably more care being put into sort of a school canteen at times than what we used to do. And when you mm-hmm. think back to what we used to eat, it's terrifying. Now, you mentioned <laughs> the book, like you had to basically find out what worked for you yourself. You were, mm-hmm. you mentioned about uh, the red hat guy, the guy that looked at the plan to see how the, the opposition could then, you know, break it up and see where the problems were. So you mm-hmm. did that for your own longevity, for your own performance. Mm-hmm. You built the kind of the parameters of the warrior athlete at this point. Could you go into a little bit about how you went through this initial plan of seeing what was working, seeing mm-hmm. what, because you mentioned like you couldn't just go for a five mile run at two in the morning like you used to. How mm-hmm. did you start looking at what was working, what wasn't, you know, seeing what kind of diets would work for you, see what food intake would work for you, the training. How did you become your own guinea pig, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, well, it, it started, it, it started a little bit in medical school, but then carried on over into residency. And, uh, you know, I started medical school at 36 and graduated and I, and I was an intern at age 40. So, you know, I was, I was in middle age at that point, whether I wanted to admit it to myself or not. And working a very, very odd schedule when, when I had to maximize, um, not only those rare times that I did get a chance to exercise, but also, uh, be a lot more mindful of what I was putting into my body as fuel. And, and I noticed that it just definitely wasn't working out for me the way it had for me when I was younger. Hmm. It, and it definitely was not things that were working for my younger classmates in both med school and residency were not working well for me either. Um, I needed, I seemed to need more sleep. Um, if, if I wasn't eating properly, if I was getting too much refined sugar, I, it was, it was having an effect on me. I couldn't live on caffeine. And, uh, 
when I did have some time that I could exercise, it seemed like it took me a lot longer to get back to my baseline again. And the recovery in between working out seemed to take longer. So I started to turn my initially was just kind of looking at the people around me who seemed to have a little bit of a recipe. And, and I talk about in the book, I talk about my good friend, Dr. Drew Wingy, who's written a couple of books himself. Um, he's always had an eye on, on high performance and optimizing human performance. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, guy that introduced me to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, really strong guy, built built like a bodybuilder, but has exceptional mobility and, and cardiovascular endurance as well. And I started picking Drew's brain. And that's where I started to unlock a lot of these things. And, and not only that, but him guiding me to different resources that I could explore as well. And that really lit a fire under me to exhaust everything that was out there. So I started uh, to do a deep dive into supplements. I started to do a deep dive into nutrition. When I started realizing that the standard things that we knew about the food pyramid, which I, I mentioned in, in, the, in the nutrition chapter in the book, that none mm -hmm. of that stuff was, was really based on anything accurate, um, I started to realize that I, I needed to look deeper and I needed to look up actual clinical studies where they did actual trials on, you know, how much protein do people need? How much uh, carbohydrates do people need? What are the downsides to too much of either one? What are the supplements that actually work? Um, for me with, uh, with sleep, especially it, it became kind of a hit or miss thing because I had had so much difficulty sleeping for so long, uh, mm -hmm. because it's been a lifelong thing with me. And, and that really was, you know, that's what, what you're seeing in that sleep chapter is 55 years of trial and error that, that I finally came up with. And, and I've gone to verify, you know, not just because it works for me, but, you know, I took little bits here and there when it comes to, you know, blackout curtains and white noise machine and the ideal sleep temperature and the supplements that I take, you know, these, these were all things that I picked up little by little over the years. And, uh, some, the ones that I discarded that I found weren't useful for me, you don't see in that chapter. So that's, that's what I've distilled down to is, you know, it's useful for me and I hope it will be useful for others as well. But, um, yeah, it's been, uh, I, I kind of have been my own walking experiment for, for quite some years now, or, you know, really my whole career, you know, cause I, cause I've always been looking at more efficient ways to do things since, uh, I, I'm, I'm not genetically gifted when it comes to athletics. So I always kind of had to find a, a little bit better way or the way that better suit me. And then that has had to evolve over time because my body has evolved, uh, as, as it's gotten older. I love that kind of approach. It's like, you know, just because we did it this way, it doesn't mean we have to still do it that way. You know, there right. can be better ways and we can go and find it. And I think that's something that you do allude to in the book is that, you know, you can recover when you're younger and do a five mile run on crappy food. You can do this, you can do that, but you're going to pay for it later on. And I think maybe we notice it more as older athletes because you've got an injury that you've carried when you were younger and your body's just maybe not recuperating and you're maybe slowing down, you're not pushing yourself. And, you know, you're maybe not, you know, the years of drinking or not eating properly you know just getting mm -hmm. by and i think that's why i mean you've done such an elite things and i think this is why your book should be so like it's gonna be so successful is that you're showing what you can do by simple tweaking for longevity optimization 
which has allowed mm-hmm. you to train in the special forces where guys should be finishing, you know, where we would think, no, nah, you can't compete with the younger guys. You're showing that's more than possible and that you're far surpassing them. You know, you is it the case that we expect doctors who are training to live off caffeine? Is it that we expect younger people to, you know, ugh, they don't need to know much about nutrition? Are the problems still available for younger people? We're only noticing them when we get older because it's it kind of builds up and builds up till we notice it, and young people need to make the changes now. What would you say are sort of key rules for longevity optimization for people listening to follow? Uh, I think absolutely. If you should, if if I could go back in time, I definitely would tell twenty two year old me to start having an eye on longevity. Because uh, many of the chronic issues that I have now, and I do, I you know, I I wrestle with chronic issues. I have a I have a hundred percent disability ra- uh, rating from the VA, um, which I I can still do all the things that I do. I have to modify a lot of stuff, and I and to be honest, I have some extreme discomfort when there are certain things that I'm doing. Mm. Um, but if I could have gone back in time to twenty two year old me. Um, I definitely would advise that young man to start having an eye on longevity and in the form of proper nutrition, getting proper sleep, recognizing the pain of a potential injury and adjusting lifestyle accordingly so that that injury heals properly and doesn't become a chronic injury. I don't think it's ever too soon to start these things because it's, it's like a credit card and you know, you, you, you're running up that bill when you're younger because uh, you know, you so you're no, you feel like you're nowhere near your limit. And then at some point in your forties, you hit your limit and that interest has been compounding annually. So now you're paying this tremendously high interest rate as you're attempting to pay off this credit card in the latter years of your life, and it, and it's a lot more difficult. And if if you spend wisely early on, you know we only have you know the the currency of life is your telomeres, right, <laughs> on the end of your <laughs> DNA strand. So uh, you know you spend your telomeres wise wisely in your younger years, and you'll have plenty of them on into your your older years. Um, something that I wish I would have known then that I certainly know now. Because you see it a lot of when we're younger, we sort of rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, we kind of yeah. say, oh, "I've got a bit of a knee injury. I'll, I'll, I'll play through. I'll play the game of American football, or I'll, I'll do whatever it is. You know, I'll get it dealt with." And then suddenly you're fifty, and you're like, "Oh wait, I can barely walk." Or it's this is why I'm so glad I found Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like which I know you partake in. That it's it teaches you like the full body workout, but it also teaches you about mobility, flexibility, mm-hmm. and all these kind of concepts. Do you think your MD training was was the, a real key part of this that you could learn about how the systems broke down? You know, the need to treat bruises and like mm-hmm. wounds and stuff, so you could actually understand the body and you could use that teaching. Is there kind of an a, a way of looking at the body setup that we can understand as older athletes to know, you know, this is the key areas to focus on. As you mm-hmm. age, you need to focus on like your mobility, your flexibility. Are there habits, is there routines that you think we should incorporate now for future? Uh, absolutely, I, I do. And and I, I, think, I think my medical training gave me a good foundation in it. I wish it would have given me more. You know, a, a lot of it I had to go on to kind of get that next level of education. I had to do that on my own. You know, they, they can only teach you so much. Mm-hmm. And the, 
the vision that uh, that Thomas Edison had that you know one day there's a, there's a famous quote from Thomas Edison and I, I don't I don't want to try to quote it because I'll, I'll do it wrong but he talks about how the physician of the future will be all about you know guiding you in nutrition and lifestyle not about dispensing drugs or, or giving you surgeries and we've never arrived there in fact we're farther from it I think than we've ever been before for all the reasons that I detail in the book but um, it gave me the, the scientific foundation that because I had the motivation and, and wanted to figure it out for myself, I was able to do so. Um, but that's uh, what people need to be mindful of. Um, you know, I'd say if there's, if there's only one takeaway as you get older is uh, it, you, you are going to need more recovery time. And that's just something that you're going to have to accept. Uh, you're going to have to realize that recovery is when the healing occurs. So that's when the muscle gets built. That's when the ligaments and tendons get uh, reformed in a, in at least as strong as they were, hopefully stronger. So you're going to have to recognize that. And moving forward, things like that you mentioned, like flexibility becomes more important. It's one of the first things to go as we get older. Mobility, which is like flexibility, but you have to think of it as I'm, I'm deliberately powering through the movement, not using the aid of gravity to get there. When people ask me the difference, I say, you know, flexibility is Bruce Lee touching his forehead to his knee and mobility is him kicking something directly up over his head. So you need to work on both of those. And, uh, I tell people, you know, people that, you know, say, look, I'm 60. I haven't picked up a weight in years. What should I be doing? I, I tell them for the first three months, it should only be dumbbells for you because that's that what you need more than anything is to stabilize all of your joints. And if, if you're do, using barbells, if you're doing traditional bench press or traditional squats, the other limb, the other side of your body is always helping out with that exercise. Whereas if you're isolating a limb, uh, whether that's through lunges or through dumbbell exercises, dumbbell curls, presses, whatever they might be, you're working the entire range of motion and all of the muscles that surround that those joints to stabilize them. And that is what is going to keep you from getting injured because what's, what's going to sideline you when you get older? Injuries, right? And, you know, we, we want to stay away from the trope that says, you know, the, the biggest cause of injury in old men is thinking that they're still young men. And the way you avoid that is by modifying what you do and realizing that you need flexibility, you need mobility, and you need durability uh, of all of your limbs. Because that's something that comes across in the book, as you said, you've had quite a number of injuries, but you've you've learned from them. You know, you've kind of mm-hmm. figured it out. And I think it goes back to that human guinea pig approach of you didn't have a plan or you didn't know it how to do this so you had to find it for yourself and i think this is why this is such a gem of a book is you've actually outlined the nutrition we need to follow the the health planning that we need to follow as we get older the training requirements but you're not just coming out and saying here's a training program just get on with this you're actually showing that it's very individualized but this is what you do this is how you work your supplementation that you offer the key kind of concepts and i think that's what really comes across is it's not written like 50 pages of acronyms and jargon that we can't understand. It's written for 
like a dense person that's written for somebody that wants to train that wants to go to the gym it's written for the smartest person possible we can all pick something from this and get what we need from it and it's, mm-hmm. it's beautifully done i read it in one sitting and i was coming back going i'm gonna i need to do that i need to do that like highlighting and writing in chapters is this the idea of a warrior ethos that you mentioned in the book is it that we need to look at our actions now and think how are they benefiting our health rather than just it'll get us through a short-term goal. It'll get us through that competition. But we need to work on, will I still be able to walk when I'm 60, 70? No, that you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's all about the, what I call the warrior ethos, which is a term I absolutely did not come up with on my own, obviously. But, uh, you know, I, I talk about in the book what I call the warrior athlete, which is, you know, people tend to look at their health in two ways, is, is either as a chore that, you know, oh, I have to go to the gym. Uh, you know, I'm dreading it. You know, I, I, I didn't, it's been a much longer day than I thought. I don't feel like doing it, but I have to do it. You know, it's, it's a chore. Eating well is a chore, right? Cause, cause then we, we, re, we reward ourselves with these cheat meals because eating healthy food is a chore. It's like work, right? So that's one way that people look at fitness. And then the other way that they'll do it is they'll look at it as a hobbyist is, uh, oh yeah, I got a gym membership and it's kind of cool. And, you know, I go, yeah, whenever I can, I go, I try to get some, some time in and, you know, I get on the elliptical for a little bit and then I start to get some, some beads of sweat on my forehead and I know that's enough and I step away. So Mm. if you're looking at it as, as a chore, that's, you know, kind of on the bottom of your list of things you enjoy doing, or as a hobby, that it's just this pleasant little diversion you're never going to kind of break through to that next level of fitness. But if you look at it as a warrior athlete on, okay, I I'm approaching this as a warrior and a warrior gets up every morning saying, I'm going to be a better version of myself today than I was yesterday. I'm going to be a better version of myself this week than I was the week previously. If, you know, meaning uh, a little bit more weight uh, in my exercises, a little, a little bit more uh, number of reps, a little bit faster time, you know, just uh, progress over per- perfection and not only looking to perform well, but looking for that longevity that it's, this is going to be steady improvement over the course of months and years and a lifetime. And that's, what's going to keep me coming back and keep me from getting sidelined with injury. You have to look at it in, in all of those respects. And, and as you said, it's w- once you've kind of embraced that warrior ethos and and incorporated that into your approach to fitness it really becomes a lot easier it becomes something that's enjoyable because you say because it's part of your lifestyle and it's how you identify yourself because that's the part that really hit me was when i was reading the book was how you looked at that is if you take it as a hobby if you take it as just it's one of those things uh, you know i'm gonna try and eat healthier it Mm -hmm. might do a wee bit better now but you're never actually going to reach the level of performance that you can, and you're maybe setting yourself up for damage later on. And when you talked about looking at food as fuel rather than just as a treat now, you know, and how much it kind of compounds on itself, you know, builds up that interest, which you have to pay off later on. In fact, looking at yourself as a warrior athlete, looking at yourself and betting yourself every day, that really hit home. Because I think a lot of us just go, I need to go to the gym. I should be going to the gym. You know, oh, the family's around, right? I'm just going to, I'll go on vacation. I'll deal with the gym when it comes later on. Suddenly, 10 years have gone by. 
and you're out of shape. You can barely go up the stairs without having some of a heart attack. And that's what's scary is time will pass quickly. We mm-hmm. just think we just don't see it. We're so focused on short term goals, which you mentioned in the book, rather than looking at as as a long term overall version of ourselves. And uh, we will have to pay the, for the damage we do as we were younger. So what, how would you start incorporating the six pillars of fitness, you know, your philosophy on food into our lifestyle now? Mm-hmm. For people that are listening, you know, could you go into a little bit about how we should view food, how we should eat? I know it's difficult because it's 212 pages, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's, there's so many other areas I still want to cover. But yeah. That's what I loved about this book was that there's so many different things that you could focus on just to improve yourself on the fitness alone. There's the food stuff. There's the health screening test. There's so mm-hmm. much involvement in here, but it's not, you know, you're not having a go. You're explaining it all ex- in very simple terms and recommending and why it's affected you using yourself as an example. So how could we start building maybe sort of three to six key rules into our lifestyle? That's mm-hmm. going to affect our performance. It's going to allow us to continue to act as we're 20, 30, as we reach the sort of later years in our life. Uh, great question. Um, if to, I can sum up the, the way that I sum up my whole nutrition chapter really in, in, in what, what we call here in the U S an elevator pitch, right? Is, you know, if I'm in an elevator, somebody and I have to, these are the only words I'm ever going to say to this person. And, and, and hopefully I'm going to give them some information about nutrition that they can, they can use for the rest of their life. Uh, I, I tell people, look, if, like I said earlier, if somebody's handing it through to you through a car window, if you got it off a shelf in a can or in a box or it came frozen, then that's not what your body needs. Okay. You need healthy produce, green leafy vegetables, your plate, when, whenever possible should have the colors of the rainbow on it. So multicolor, you know, big colorful vegetables, uh, are always a good thing. Uh, healthy lean meats. I eat a lot of poultry, a lot of turkey, a lot of chicken, and I eat a lot of fish. I, I, I'm, salmon is, is my best friend, uh, when it comes to fish. Uh, I love red meat. I try to make that an occasional thing. So, so all of the things that we eat in fast food society that, that are delicious, you know, uh, double bacon cheeseburgers and pepperoni pizza, uh, those, can you have those? Yes, you can, but they need to be in moderation, right? So that's uh, maybe a, a once a week thing or or even a once a month thing. You know, your your meals periodically can, can be something like that, but the fuel that you're putting in your body every day needs to be as close to the source as possible. It needs to look like a vegetable that recently came out of the ground and it looks, it needs to look like a piece of meat that was just carved off of the, of the carcass. It shouldn't look like something processed, processed meats, cured meats. You know, when you're talking about ground meat and the high fat content, uh, you're, you're losing a lot when you get that. And anything that's processed is going to have a lot of sugars in it. It's going to have uh, a lot of unhealthy fats in it and a lot of preservatives in it because anytime it's something that's meant to be shelf stable for long periods of time, that means that there's a lot of things in it that we're not really designed to eat. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I like to stay away from industrial farming stuff as well. So I don't eat, uh, I eat very little bread, very little pasta, and things of that nature, because if if you think about what our ancestors ate, uh, that you know they certainly didn't have 
uh, tractors to harvest wheat that looked like the same thing that, that drives the space shuttle out to, to, to take off, right? So if, if a vehicle like that is involved in the, in the chain of acquiring that food, it's not something that's probably good for you. Uh, so that's kind of in, in a nutshell, that's, that's the advice that I give everybody when it comes to nutrition. And of course, you know, from reading the book, I, I give, I do go into specifics about, uh, how much protein I think is ideal, um, how to pick, uh, healthy carbs versus unhealthy carbs, how many of those you need, healthy fat versus unhealthy fat, and how much of that that you need as well. So that's the nutritional aspect of it. When it comes to the fitness aspect of it, and you, we've kind of, we've, kind of mentioned it a little bit already. And, and you mentioned my, I call, I call the six pillars of fitness. So, um, flexibility and mobility we talked about already. So those, those are two durability. And I talked about that a little bit. That's when we're talking about all those little muscles that you don't know the names of. So not the bicep, the tricep and the pectoralis, but those little tiny muscles that surround your joints that mm -hmm. provide stability. These are also your core muscles. So everything that helps you hold good posture, that helps you, if you had to uh, kneel down and pick something up on one leg, the, all the muscles that would be involved would be those durability muscles. So it's really important that you work your durability in your fitness routine. So those are three things. Strength, which is exactly what every, everybody uh, thinks it is, right? So how much weight that I can lift. Power, which is a little bit different than strength. And that power is your ability to move a given weight through a given distance in a given period of time. So, and the example I give in the book is, the, you know, what somebody squats is indicative of their strength. But if I put a weighted sled in front of you and I tell you to push it uh, for 10 or 15 yards and I start a stopwatch, that that's what your power is. Okay. So, yeah. so that's your, your power. Uh, and then we have uh, endurance and endurance is cardiovascular endurance. So that's, you know, typically what you'd see from a long distance runner, but also muscular endurance. So when you're doing however many burpees you can do in 10 minutes or shuttle runs, or you're doing sandbag throws, uh, that's not only cardiovascular endurance, but that's uh, muscular endurance as well. Uh, did I just give all six? I feel like I missed one. Flexibility, mobility, durability, strength, power, and endurance. Yep. Okay. I got all six. Right. So those are the six pillars. Cause that's definitely something that comes across is where a lot of like books that I've read, it's they're playing checkers, you know, they're kind of saying eat better, go to the gym. Yours is actually <laughs> right. more like a 3d chess match where you're kind of actually showcasing how important sleep is, the recovery, the, the health screen that we need to go into. So mm -hmm. how do we utilize these kind of aspects as well? You know, how do we start looking at our sleeping patterns? How do we consider our, like, um, all the, the additional stuff? How should we start incorporating that into it? Because as we, they serve the younger people, people 30, 40, they're listening to this just now will be thinking, yeah, I need to worry about that when I'm 50. I need to worry about getting like my tests, my smears for women, or I get, mm -hmm. um, you know, like I get the finger up the bum kind of a test, you know, all these <laughs> right. kind of things. I know a lot of guys don't know the official names. Um, uh, right. how, but how, how do we start? thinking about this is now this is something we need to do now we can actually affect and change these things because i have a history of diabetes in my family i have a history of cancer in my family so mm -hmm. i was very keen on your book of starting a lot of the supplements you mentioned of improving my sleep which i know is notoriously bad because i'm spending a mm -hmm. lot of time 
with the podcast and stuff like that. So I'm mm. maybe not sleeping as well as I should be. I can start taking the supplements you mentioned, but what other sort of health aspects should we be looking at for athletes, for anybody who picks up a copy of your book? Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's important that I'm always amazed at, you know, I have met people, I've had people come into my emergency room um, at age 50 and uh, they'll, and say something like, uh, this is the first time that I've been to see a doctor since I was, you know, uh, 12 years, 12, 15 years old. You know, that's, you know, I just, I don't go to doctors. Uh, and unfortunately, typically when somebody comes in with that story, it's really bad. The reason that they're there on that day is really, really bad because they haven't gotten these periodic screenings. And, uh, that's something that the military has actually done fairly well. And the reason being is because the, the military looks at active duty troops as a commodity. So, you know, having a physical, uh, a comprehensive physical exam before you even enter active duty is important to make sure you're physically fit enough to do so. And then uh, comprehensive physical exams before you go to certain schools, whether that's, you know, uh, jump school, dive school, flight school, uh, or, or something of that nature. And then also periodic health assessments um, in the intervening time to make sure that everything that you're doing militarily hasn't had a deleterious effect on your health and that your your eyesight is still good, your blood pressure is still good, um, uh, your lab values are still within the normal range. So mm-hmm. people in the military do a pretty good job of it only because it's really not their choice, right? It's it's required. You get your your records get flagged if you've gone too long without having a, a physical exam or a physical screening. And in the civilian world, people just aren't doing that because, you know, we, we've taught people that uh, doctors are somebody that you go to when things have already gone bad, mm-hmm. right? We, we do a very, very poor job in preventive medicine. And preventive medicine is lifestyle, but also, and lifestyle is probably 90% of it. But then the screening aspect of it that that we're talking about now is is a pretty important 10% because doing things like getting a skin cancer screening, you know, skin cancer really common in the U.S., but very treatable if caught early, Uh, uh, prostate screenings, your your colonoscopy, getting your eyesight checked, you know, and getting your eyesight checked and getting a comprehensive eye exam is really important. Um, You'd be surprised at the number of diseases, systemic diseases that ophthalmologists are the one that catch them through, through doing a comprehensive eye exam. You know, the early stages of diabetes, the early stages of, of, uh, of cholesterol buildup, connective tissue disorders and things of that nature. Um, comprehensive eye exam is really important. A hearing exam, you know, uh, you know, know, really simple things, having your blood work done, you know, you, you might have a family history of a thyroid disorder, but nobody's ever really talked about it. And it's important to identify that early. So especially once you hit age 40, um, you need to be seeing your doctor every couple of years. Um, really before that, you know, I, you, if you don't have a regular doctor that is your regular doctor, then that in your twenties and thirties, that should be your priority is going in and establishing a relationship with a physician that knows you getting a, getting a baseline on everything, uh, you know, on all of your lab work to know what's, what is 
normal for you right now at this age? And then coming up with a plan for them for how often you're going to go in and see them. And, and in your 20s and 30s, it might be, you know, if, if you don't have anything going wrong, I'll see you every five years, you know, or something, something mm. of that nature. But definitely as, as we reach middle age, it needs to become a every couple year thing. And eventually, really, it needs to become a, a once a year thing. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. Because that's the thing that really hit home was your your book was on about preventative care that we can put in place now that we don't mm. need to become fat and old like the, the you know the, the old grandpa sitting on the couch we can actually be still performing at elite levels i mean you, you've demonstrated what we can do with a bit of trial and error finding out what works for us by adapting our training program by looking at our recovery methods and this is why i think the book is going to be such a success is you've written a whole life breakdown you're not just saying go to the gym and eat better you're saying but look at your sleep get your eyes tested and you're explaining mm-hmm. it why but you're not just sitting going because i said so you're explaining why <laughs> how each thing can break into each other and how it can help but how we can still perform like we are now and rather than ruin the good old days we can actually still be going off and going for hikes we can still be doing the elite things that we are doing now do you think another thing is that we're not getting challenges anymore that we are in, you know, there's not many wars on at the minute. That we can just get food delivered to us. Like I'm saying, we can get dates. We can order uh, <laughs> a lift to our door to wherever we're going. Mm-hmm. Is it now that we need to establish a challenge in our lives? Like we should be running a marathon each year. We should be, you know, skydiving. We should be doing something. Is this why the elite performers are doing? can maintain the performance over the average Joe so more mm-hmm. that they're pushing themselves out of the comfort zone. Yeah, I do. Th- I do think that there is an aspect of that. You know, the, there's the, the old saying that's been repeated many times is, um, you know, hard times give, gives birth to hard, hard men. And then hard men give birth to easy times and easy times give birth to weak men. And then weak men give birth to hard times. Right. So, uh, you know, we had generations before us that struggled and, uh, because of their struggle, we have the, the life and lifestyle that we have now, like you say, technologically and, uh, you know, in the developed world, you can get, you know, I can order almost anything that the, the heart desires on my phone and it will be delivered in 24 hours to my front door. Um, so it's certainly made for a uh, a softer society. So I think giving ourselves something uh, to strive for, and if you have that warrior athlete mentality, you know it's you might not be getting ready to get on a helicopter with a SEAL team and and go into a hot landing zone somewhere, but you can be getting ready for a crossfit competition or a spartan race or a marathon or a triathlon or a brazilian jiu-jitsu competition 
you know, give yourself something to strive for. But, but I, I caution everyone in that. And, and, you know, because I talk about this in, in one chapter of the book is don't go into the allure of, I'm so focused on, on peaking for this event, this performance mm-hmm. that I'm going to take shortcuts, you know, give that as something out there hanging in front of you, you know, that's the carrot that you're going for, but don't get so caught up into it that you, uh, that that's not an excuse to slack off for three months. And then in the, in the fourth month before competition, really try to pour it on to get ready for it. Right. Um, if, if you get to the fourth month and, and you have slacked off the other three, you should, uh, still continue to prepare at uh, a level that your body can tolerate and then accept the results. And then incorporate the knowledge that you gained from those results into your training moving forward, right? Uh, because at the end, nobody, you go out and do a Spartan race on the weekend. N- nobody, nobody, your name's not going in the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, for, for running a, a local 10K or doing a local triathlon, right? You're only competing against yourself, but yeah, definitely give yourself something to strive for. And, and it might be something as simple as, uh, once a month, I'm going to get together with my friends and instead of working out on our own in our own garages, our own gyms, we're going to get together on a Saturday and we're going to come up with this really crazy workout routine that we all do together. And this is going to be for bragging rights uh, amongst my friends on, Hey, you know, I did, I was able to do a lot more sandbag carries, uh, you know, this month than you did. Uh, this month. So uh, you just give yourself something to shoot for and some type of challenge because once you stop challenging yourself, you stop evolving. Because I think that really comes across in the book is not to look at things as a short-term goal. Look at it as a long-term mission. Look at your fitness, your health as a whole life cycle rather than just, I'm going to train for this and then I'm not going to do anything else again from it. Something that really comes across is in the special forces, the military, they build these sort of brotherhoods, you know, these real strong, deep connections. Do you mm-hmm. think we need to figure out how to build friendships? Like a lot, cause I read somewhere that a lot of men say that they've barely got more than two or three friends. A lot, mm-hmm. I think it was something like 60% of men said they didn't have a best friend, for example. Do you mm-hmm. think that's the beauty of the military kind of approach is that it builds these kind of connections with one another? Could you give tips on what you've learned from your time about building these sort of strong brotherhoods to get guys that would like to go on the same path and train together and, you know, so age gracefully or chaotically, depending on how you want to look at it? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and one thing that I talk, I talk about in the book is that the military gives you that tribe, you know, the, the, as we refer to it, it gives you uh, a, a, a tribe of like-minded individuals who are all working together towards, uh, towards a, if not the exact same goal towards parallel goals. So you lift each other up, you know, when, and, and you do that in a couple of different ways. When you need a little bit of extra help, they will be there to motivate you. Uh, when you stumble, they might be there to lend a hand to get you back on your feet. Um, there, you're you're also there because it it brings out the competition in you, and it, it, you see somebody who's running a little bit faster than you, and you strive to catch up to them. So, mm-hmm. in, in all these ways, you are helping one another. And there's there's some some both spoken and unspoken peer pressure involved in that. And and I talk about in that chapter 
it's easy to find friends to be comfortable with. It's, it'd be, it's real easy to join a, a club that is going to smoke cigars together or do barbecues together or golf together. Those yep. are easy groups to fall into, right? It's a lot more challenging to say, I want to find a group of people that we're going to push ourselves to the point of exhaustion, possibly even to the point of vomiting. Uh, and, and we're going to do this on a, a regular or semi-regular basis. That's a little bit more challenging, but in the end, it's a lot more rewarding when you do find those people and, uh, and they will lift you up because when, when motivation fails, when internal motivation fails, you have to fall back on discipline, but sometimes even discipline fails. And then what will motivate you is that external motivation of the peer pressure of being judged by the members of your tribe who you're going to have to hear from them if they say, you know, hey, all of us were at the gym Saturday morning at eight o'clock and you weren't there. Why weren't you there? Are you sick? Are you injured? Uh, what's what's wrong? You know, because we're, we're your tribe and we're concerned about you. So, you know, the, the military gives you that, you know, unit cohesion is important. Esprit de corps, as we call it, is extremely important. And uh, both your leaders and your peer group lift you up and push you to be the absolute best version of yourself. So you can reproduce that in the civilian world. And it's, uh, that's one of the good things about, uh, about the age that we live in is even if you live somewhere in a remote rural area, we all have these wonderful electronic devices where we can be on Reddit forums or in a MyZone uh, users group or in mm-hmm. a Facebook group for people that ride their Peloton bikes or run on their treadmills or uh, do CrossFit and we can share ideas and we can post our accomplishments and we can learn from others and help each other out. Bless you. Um, (laughs) And it's, you know, that's, that's the great thing. Uh, You know, there, there's a lot of negativity on Mm. the internet, but that's, that's certainly uh, some positivity that is out there is that you can find these groups, these online groups that lift each other up and motivate each other. Because I think that's the beauty is, like you're saying, is technology has a lot of flaws. You know, we compare ourselves on social media. We kind of go, what's the point? They're doing it so much better. But if we use it like it should be used, like meetup.com, there's all these groups. There's a lot of sports groups. But you can actually create a group yourself that if you want to find like-minded people to go and do the training, to do the things that you want to do. And I think this is where the world is such a smaller place now because of it. Now, in the book, you have you, there's a beautiful um, yeah, acknowledgement to your wife about how she, like how she changed your life. And for mm-hmm. people who are you know new fathers or people who are thinking, oh, oh wait, I'm, she's my wife's pregnant. I need to now get into shape. I want to see this baby for the in the next twenty thirty years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it? How do we start getting into guys' heads now that you know having a sore knee that you've had since you've played football? is not a badge of honor lifting something heavy and hurting your back wasn't a badge of honor because you can barely walk upstairs now how do we get these guys to understand that you know we don't need to wait till we're married to try get into shape we don't need to wait till we have kids to get it should be something we do now to build a healthy life that's going to help and attract these people into our lives but also make us healthy so we can enjoy this life for the rest of our days? You know, uh, the, uh, last week in my gym where, where I work out, I work out at, at uh, there's a, uh, 
a, a gym franchise over here in the United States called Opex, and I work out at a place called Opex Round Rock. And it's it looks very much on the surface, it looks a lot like a CrossFit box, although it's not CrossFit. It's a it's a little bit different. Um, and uh, PJ Brownell, who is my coach, <clears throat> he wrote he wrote uh, an inspirational quote up on the whiteboard in the gym, and it said, uh, "Self care is not selfishness." And that's one of the problems that we face. And, and I, I, I hate to say it, but it, it's almost especially true when it comes to relationships is if you have two people in a relationship and one is going to the gym, uh, and then especially if that's a spouse and there's children involved is oftentimes the person who's not going looks at that as, okay, that's, you're being selfish. You're, you're going to pursue something away from the, away from me, away from the rest of us that you are indulging in. And that's mm-hmm. selfishness. And we need to come to grips, no matter which side of that coin that you're on, you need to come to grips with the, with the fact that self care is not selfishness. You know, I, my wife recognizes that I spend as much time as I do in the gym because I want to be her husband until the ripe old age of 104. You know, I, I want to see my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren be born. And the way that I'm going to do that is through taking care of my body, right? So it's it's not a selfish act. I'm not going – I'm not just, you know, going there uh, just to get away from everybody else and do something that's just for me. It's it's for them too. And, I, you know, I'm I'm a better provider. I can work harder. I can build my business more effectively as an entrepreneur when I'm healthier. Um, all of these things are important. I, I'm a, I'm a better lover to my spouse when I'm in peak health. I mean, th- these are things that are just undeniably true. So we should stop looking mm. at it as selfishness. It's the same when I go to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That's, that's not a selfish pursuit. That's, uh, I mean, I, I certainly enjoy it, but it, you know, if, if God forbid anything ever happens and I have to defend myself or my family, you know, I, I'm going to get those tools that, that, uh, better enable me to do so. So we have to, we have to break through a lot of the problems that we have are these kind of societal constructs that we've, we've put up these walls. Uh, you know, you know, that's, that's a good example. An- another one is, and we started to talk about it a little bit earlier is, uh, we as, we as a society and individuals have a very unhealthy relationship, not only with food, but with sleep. You know, and, and we come up with all these reasons that we don't get enough sleep. And it really, it all boils down to we don't have a healthy relationship with sleep to begin with. And that allows all these other impediments to kind of, uh-huh. to work their way in between us and getting restful sleep. And again, it, because what is, is somebody who wants to get enough sleep is sometimes looked as being either selfish or lazy. And that's not the case. Cause that's the, that approach to self care is brilliant because a lot of people sit there and go, oh, I can't go, I can't go to the gym because she's missing me. Or, you know, rather than saying, mm-hmm. let's come along or let's have set time for me and you to do stuff. It's like mm-hmm. when in an airplane, you know, it loses pressure. They say, put your own mask on first rather than try to <laughs> exactly. help somebody. And, you know, it's that kind of thing of, but I need to help people. I'm a nice guy. And you're like, yeah, well, if, if you lose consciousness, you're not going to help anybody and mm-hmm. you can actually make the, the situation worse. And I really like that kind of approach. Now, Military life is set up. It's very kind of it's very controlled, and you know they used to say that you get told when you eat, sleep, and shit. Basically, 
And yep. I've got friends who are in the military, well, the, the British military. How do we turn to people and say, okay, let's make fitness a habit for you? You know, that doesn't mm-hmm. just mean going to the gym. How would you start habit hacking this? How would you start saying, you know, would it be once a year, go see your doctor, three times a week, do X? And I would recommend Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I'm a massive fan of, you know, how can we build fitness into a habit? Because I'm very much a fan of making things into a routine, into a ritual. So you don't mm-hmm. even need to think about it. You're already doing it. What hat tricks for this kind of thing have you had with patients? Yeah, I think that, you know, the first thing is, you know, look at, you know, what, what are your overall fitness goals? So, you know, what, what do you want to be fit for? Is it just, I, I just want an overall state of fitness um, you know, I, I wanted there's some type of event that I want to do, you know, I've always dreamed of doing whatever it is, the Spartan race, the triathlon, you know, for me, I, I, I use mixed martial arts as my gauge. So my fitness tends to be geared towards, um, can I spar more effectively against opponents? Can I, can I pick somebody up, throw them over my shoulder and slam them to the ground? Can I, uh, can I evade, uh, strikes and duck under and get takedowns. Can I do all of these things? So that's kind of the gauge that I use. Um, but really I want to be fit, you know, just, just to be fit. Cause I want to, I want to live longer and I want to have a, mm-hmm. a more rewarding life. Deciding what you want it for and what your goals are. That that's an important first step. And then looking at, you know, I, I advise that you never go more than 48 hours and that's 48 hours is really kind of pushing it 24 is ideal without doing some type of physical activity so figure out how much time you're going to be able to dedicate that uh and you know i would say the absolute minimum amount of time is uh, let's let's say you're going to work you're going to do something four days a week right and you know that might be three days of of hard workout and a fourth day that's more of of like an active recovery but even if you only have that much time if you're going to work out on a monday on a wednesday on a friday and then try to do something saturday or sunday you're still only having that one day gap in between once you start having two day gaps in between then you start to lose the progress that you've made mm-hmm. um and it's and you're just not as productive so Figure out what days you can do it. And some, some people, the, the week is just a non-starter. There's no way they're going to do it in the week. They're just too busy. Maybe they're working two jobs or maybe they have a, an incredibly long commute. So that might mean that Saturday and Sunday, you absolutely have to work out both of those days. If you have a family, that might mean that you have to get up early or you have to carve out some time for yourself. Um, you're just going to have to figure out when that time is available. And if you absolutely are saying to yourself, well, I just, I just, I'm 100% sure I don't have time. Look at where your time is going. And uh, if if your time, if if there's a lot of internet time on there, a lot of television time on there, a lot of uh, you're pursuing a hobby that that time could be spent on physical fitness, that's where you're going to have to start carving out the time. You know, certain things, your, your, your boss expects you to be at your job a certain number of hours per day. Um, you know, you're going to have to drive to and from work. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to go to, to prepare food. That's going to take time to go buy food. That's going to take time. Um, you're, you're going to want to spend time with your kids and your significant other, but even when all that's done and, and you figured in your sleep as well, I I'd be willing to bet that most people have 45 minutes in there, at least three to four days a week. They have mm-hmm. 45 minutes in there that they can carve out. And, and maybe that's, 
uh, it might be your lunch hour. You know, it, it might be something, something, a lunch hour. If you're commuting on the train, you, you're going to look kind of funny doing air squats on the train, but maybe that's something that you have to do just to stay active. Um, it's something that you just have to figure out. Because that's the great part about the book is you give an example of your training program. You're not saying that's what everybody has to do, but you give an ex- an example of how you train the different factors, the different the six pillars of fitness. But you also show the variety of different things we can do. And you also have a wee bit about how we can incorporate family vacations, how you can change mm-hmm. up your fitness at that point, how there's always something you can do. And mm-hmm. nowadays with all these kind of like squash, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, five-a-side football, whatever it is, there's so many different ways that you can train without realizing you're training. You don't need to just mm-hmm. go to the gym for four days a week and throw weights around. There's so many different varieties. And the six pillars are a great part of the book because they, you can look and go, I'll do something for this this day. I'll do something for this this day. There's active stretching. There's active mobility work. There's so much more involved in it. And the book is fantastic. It gives you so many prompts to go, how can I incorporate that in my life? Oh, brilliant. I'll try that. I'll try that. It is It's going to be a masterpiece. I know so many people are going to pick up on it. How would you want people to use the book like going forward? Uh, you know, I can't recommend people... Um, buy this enough but how would you want them to start using this you know what other resources would you want them to incorporate as they go along mm-hmm. well you uh when you describe the way that you read the book you know and that's exactly what i want people to do i want people to be making notes in the margin circling underlying highlighting you know finding the the portions of the book that speak to them that give them priorities and you should go you should walk away from that each chapter in the book uh, and, and, and I went to, I went to great lengths to make sure that I kind of summarize each chapter and bullet points with takeaway points afterwards mm, that's a great, on those great takeaway gift. on the, on those pages with the takeaway points. That's where you make the no- notes and that's where you highlight the things that you want to do. And you write your own individual plan in those pages on this is exactly what I'm going to do to incorporate everything from this chapter into my own life. That's, that's how I would want them to approach it. And then the, the resources that I would like you to, to seek outside of the book. You know, I talk about in there how important it is to, to have a heart monitor because you can't manage what you're not measuring, right? So in order to measure your, uh, your heart rate, what zones you're in, your caloric output, all of those things, you're going to need to have a heart rate monitor. I recommend at least initially, I don't, I hate counting calories. I absolutely hate it, but I recommend that people do it at least for a brief period of time when they're starting something like this, even if that just means eat, continuing to eat exactly what you're eating now, but then recording that, you know, you know, figure, there's, there's a ton of apps out there you can put on your phone that, and I guarantee there's an app out there that no matter what it is you're eating, you can type it in and it will, it will give you ballpark of what the calories are and the caloric breakdown by, by your macros. It'll all be in there. Log what you're eating now without any changes. Just log it for a week and you'd be shocked at, at how many calories you're getting, how many, I guarantee you're getting way more carbs than you think you're getting, far less protein than you think you're getting, and probably uh, too much saturated fat and too much uh, processed sugar as well. So just do that just for a week. So that's a resource that I would like for people to reach out to. If you don't know where to start when it comes to physical fitness, take those six pillars that I, that I talk about in that chapter on fitness 
go to a gym and and find find a trainer and sit down with them and say these are the things that this guy's telling me to work on what do you have to offer me in a fitness program that addresses all of these things and a lot of these pro- there's a lot of programs out there that you can do online p90x is a great program it's uh, it's a lot of time to invest but there's a lot of programs out there that are similar and we live in a day and age where you can you can sign up for something like, you know, the, you know, the beach body program, which has a whole bunch of different fitness programs involved in a lot of its body weight on Amazon prime. Almost everybody has Amazon prime. There's a ton of yoga videos on there. You can do, you can start out with yoga. These are yeah. all open source things that are available to you. Um, I don't think you need to go out there and get a lot of really co- of these comprehensive books on fitness, unless you have an eye towards, you know, teaching this to somebody else yourself someday. Um, I think it's a lot better to, to, to sit down one-on-one with somebody, um, talk about what your goals are, talk about the six pillars and talk about how to incorporate that into your plan. Um, although it's not something that you a hundred percent necessarily need to do. I mean, you can, I, I think I give enough examples in there. As long as you have some basic knowledge of exercises, there's a lot of body weight stuff and dumbbell and kettlebell stuff that you can do right out of the gate. That'll get you started down that path. And that's why I think people need this book. It's instead of having 50, 60 different sources, you put everything down into one very simple lifestyle guide that breaks down everything and says, this is how we should act. You know, not just fitness and eating is also how to make sure you're healthy, how to make sure that you can see that you can eat, that you're still mm-hmm. the teeth, that you've you've covered <laughs> such a wide variety of things that a lot of people forget about. And they only notice it when they start going, oh, that's always that knee's always hurting. Oh, I've mm-hmm. I've started pooing out blood. Oh, I've started doing, I can't get it up anymore with my wife or whatever it is. And usually by that point, it's too late. And I think this is great because it's not just for people who are over 40. This is for younger athletes as well. This is for just any man, woman who's coming into this now and thinking, I, I want to get a bit healthier, but I don't know where to start. You've written such a comprehensive guide, and it's amazing. I mean, we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes, and I think we've barely touched the surface in each of the areas. So I'd love to go into deeper on each of them, maybe at another point. But how would you want people to take this interview? What would you, as a go-home message, are there key points, or is there an overall summarization you could give that you would want people to remember? You know, I think the the overall summary uh, that I would, I would urge everyone to think about is um, – and I tried to make this a theme throughout the book is uh, we've been sold a bill of goods by society that uh, we can accept a certain, we, we should attain a certain level of fitness at a certain age. And that over time, that's just going to diminish and our activity level is going to drop. And uh, we, everyone needs to realize that what is average is not necessarily what is normal. You know, the average person is 25 to 30 pounds overweight. The average person is going to be, uh, from middle age on is going to be on one or two prescription medications regularly, usually something for either blood pressure or cholesterol or, uh, diabetes or prediabetes. Um, that's the average, but that's not normal. That's, that's just what, because of the way we eat, because of our sedentary lifestyle, that's, has become the average and you don't have to be average. You can be 
uh, high, highly above average is, is very much attainable and you can continue to perform at a high level into your forties, fifties, sixties and beyond. You just have to believe in yourself and uh, ignore what the conventions of society uh, has told you. And my advice to everyone listening, this would be to, to go to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com or wherever books are sold and buy my book, Honed, <laughs> Finding Your Edge as a Man Over 40. Um, and, and no matter what age you are, and no matter if you're a man over 40, a woman over 40, or a woman in her 20s, or a man in your 20s, and uh, and use that book to, to spark uh, action in your life. And everybody, I, I I've gotten feedback from fellow physicians and from current and former professional athletes who said, you know what, you know, 70% of the book was stuff that I was already kind of doing, but that other 30%, wow, you really made me think, like you said, mm-hmm. I made all of those doctor's appointments or my sleep is garbage and I'm finally addressing how to, how to get good sleep because of your chapter on sleep. Or, uh, I, I had no idea that that's why recovery is so important and I've been pushing myself too hard. And based on your book, I've started incorporating those recovery days and my performance has gotten better when I thought my performance would go down because I felt guilty for those recovery days. So I think there's something for everyone in this book. Because you, you certainly shine a light in a lot of areas that guys typically just go, yeah, I'll deal with that later. I'm not, I don't need to worry about that. <laughs> and then suddenly it pops up and we go, oh. And you, you know, it's like you're saying, we, we've been sold this lie. We don't need to be out of shape. It's, you know, we don't need to think about the glory years of 15 years, 20 years ago. We can continue to, to live as we are. And you're, you've written an amazing book and I, I will be more than happy to promote it because I think every guy needs to read it. Cause when I Thank first you. read it, I was like, there's so many prompts and there's so many insights, but it's so much, there's so many motivational points that I think, Right, I can change my life this way. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, well, I better get that sorted. And it's like you're saying, preventative medicine now can mean you can do amazing things as we age, and there's no reason not to. We just need to understand that we can do it. We need to accept that. And I would love to have you on again and do a round two and really get into this. But for people who want to work with you, who want to buy the book, who want to find out more about you, can you give your social media handles? Where can we find out? Where can we listen to your amazing podcast? Those sort of things. Yeah. Uh, my, my podcast is, is mind of the warrior. It's uh, available on all platforms, Apple, Spotify, um, pod Bay, pretty, pretty much all of them. Uh, at least I think it is. <laughs> um, uh, my social media handle on Instagram is, uh, Dr. Mike Simpson spelled D R M I K E S I M P S O N. Um, Graybeard Performance, my couple, my life and lifestyle slash supplement company also has its own account and you can find me there at graybeardperformance.com. There is, uh, there are places on that website where you can subscribe. Um, I do send out periodic emails and I'm probably going to start launching a newsletter in the very near future as a follow up to the book that you can mm-hmm. subscribe to there. Um, you can also contact me directly through graybeardperformance.com or uh, my original website, which I don't use as much anymore, was drmikesimpson.com. You can contact me, contact me there as well. Well, I know you're going to change a lot of lives with this. I mean, even I was kind of going through, and I, I, you know, I've interviewed quite a lot of people and I've kind of covered a lot of areas and I was like, well, I didn't even think about that. And oh, my, that's amazing. And a lot of the stories that you tell in the book and a lot of the ways you explain things really hit home and you make us realize that 
it's not a badge of honor. We can change, but we need to make these changes now. And, you know, about our longevity, optimization, the little things that we can do now to fix our lives, like you're saying, to enjoy the later years and not even call them later years. We can still perform till the, you know, till the day we die. And it is a, it is a brilliant book. And I, you know, you should be super proud of the work. And I, and I love Thank how you. you're now thinking. I'm going to evol- I'm going to carry on this evolution. Where would you want the evolution of your brand to be? Have you got a sort of end goal in mind? Yeah, I my my hope is uh you know, I have I have two supplements in my supplement line now. That's going to expand to as a minimum to 7 because you know, I talk about in the supplement chapter that you know, I've basically had to piecemeal together all of the stuff that's out there that really works. I've had to hunt down on my own. And I'd like for people to have one-stop shopping where they can get all of that in one location. And I, and I want Greybeard Performance to be that brand. Uh, I also want it to be a place where people go for information. Um, in, in an ideal world, this would expand to a weekly newsletter, you know, t- uh, giving you motivation each and every week, giving you workout plans, meal plans. Um, I, I would love to have an – I've had – for a long time, I've wanted to have an app that could, that could help people with this on a daily basis. Everything, you know, as simple as a checklist that you get up every day and it's mm-hmm. reminding you to drink that 16 ounces of water that I talk about in the book as soon as you wake up, reminding you to take your supplements, reminding you to get that workout in, um, giving you a little anecdote each and every, each and every day or at least each and every week, uh, that, that, uh, is a reflection on why it's important that you're doing the things that you do. Um, that would ideally, be where I see this brand going that, uh, you know, Greybeard performance would be the, 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 the place that everybody is going for all their information when it comes to a healthy life and lifestyle and recognizing that, that middle age is, is just that it's middle age. So, and I said, when I was 52, I said, I said, I consider myself to be halfway done, which means I'm going to live to 104. And that is my goal. And, mm. and I want to get more out of the second 52 years than I got out of the first 52 years. And I want everybody to have that goal that, uh, you know, it's going into old age. Isn't a time to reflect back and think of how great things were in your twenties and thirties. It's a time to think about how great things are right now. And you do that through optimizing your longevity. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.